One day the prophet Nathan came to visit King David. Now David was familiar with the prophets, and no doubt on most occasions David welcomed the prophets to come where he was in Jerusalem. And uh, the prophet came and said to David, David, I have a story I want to tell you. And you know, most of us are geared toward stories, right? So we want to hear that. So David tuned his ear to hear the story that Sam, uh, the prophet Nathan had to tell. Nathan begins and says, David, there were two men. One was very rich, one was very poor. And this rich man had tons of flocks, he had plenty. The poor man only had one little lamb. It was very near and dear to he and his family. And in fact, this lamb was sort of like a pet. And it went everywhere he went and laid in his bosom. And this was just a very close animal to this family. Well, one day the rich man had a guest. Instead of pulling from his flocks, his many, he went to the poor man and took his little lamb and killed it and dressed it and fed it to his guest. Well, this time David's countenance has changed from, ooh, a good story, to, wait a minute. And you can imagine David's face getting red. You can imagine David saying, and he does say back in in 2 Samuel where we hear this story, and David becomes enraged. He says, "Why, why, this is just wrong. This man who has done this must be held accountable for what he has done. That's when Nathan paused. Maybe stuck out his bony finger and pointed it at David. Said, you are the man. You are the man. In other words, David, this story is about you. This story is about the sin that you have committed with Bathsheba. And the sin that you had committed against Uriah when you had him put to death. And the prophet goes on to say that that God, speaking through the prophet, says, David, have I not made you king? Have I not given you all kinds of things, wives already? But yet you take this one man's wife and you kill him. David's response was, I have sinned. David knew it. He'd been dealing with it for about a year. This particular sin or these sins that he had committed. He was broken over his sin. You know, there are some things that are, when they break, they're no longer useful. And so we throw them away. We find a dumpster somewhere and we get rid of that old thing that doesn't work anymore. And we go and replace it. We buy a new one. But you know, there's other things that aren't good until they are broken. Take, for instance, a brand new baseball glove. I bought many new baseball gloves in my time, and when you buy that new baseball glove, it is stiff. And if you go immediately out to try and play catch with that glove, you're going to have a very difficult time. You cannot hardly squeeze the ball when it comes in there, and so you have, to, you have to work that glove, and you have to stick a ball in there and tie a strap around it and get it to mold itself around that ball. You have to, as we call it, break it in before it's of use what about a a brand new pair of shoes especially dress shoes that we might buy those shoes when we you know get them home and we put them on they're they're stiff and they're almost awkward to walk in but after we walk in them a little while and we begin to break them in 
And they begin to mold good to our feet, then no longer a problem. What about a horse? I've been on a horse twice in my life. And neither time could I get that horse to do what I wanted that horse to do. Because I was not an experienced rider, and guess what? That horse knew it. He could feel it probably in my legs as I was shaking on top of that horse, and he said, I ain't doing nothing for this idiot. But when has a horse become useful to man? horse becomes useful when you break its spirit, when you train it, and when you get it to, to do and obey the commands that you give to that horse. Well, here's David, broken over our sins. Many believe that Psalm 32 is possibly in reference to these sins that he had committed and the joy of David's Forgiveness. Some believe this psalm is somewhat a companion psalm to Psalm 51. Where in Psalm 51, David really lays out his confession. He doesn't lay it out so much here. Here he talks more about the joy of forgiveness. In Psalm 51, he talks more about the, the confession of that forgiveness that he desperately wanted. David was a broken man. Even though David was considered a man, what, after God's own heart, right? Still didn't make David perfect. David was still, like all of us, prone to sin if we're not careful. And David was not careful on the day that he committed that sin with Bathsheba. He was even not where he should have been on that day, more than likely as his troops were out to war. David probably should have been out to war and probably could have avoided that whole scenario. So I want us to think about the blessed man is the forgiven man. And you've got an outline there before you. You can fill out some things as we go through this. But back in verses 1 and 2 as we begin this psalm, David begins with the blessedness of being forgiven. Notice he says, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David uses three different words here as he describes sin. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin is a word that, that it means to miss the mark. Some have described it in that way, but also it, it has this idea of unintentional sin. In other words, you didn't plan it. You, you didn't just wake up in the morning and decide, you know what, I'm going to sin in this particular way today, but it Things happen in the heat of the moment and we might say something, do something that later we regret. And that might be a good definition of of that kind of word. But then there's the word transgression. Transgression means a revolt or rebellion. Literally comes from the root word to rush headlong into something. Literally to, to take your legs and stride the legs and go quickly into something. The idea of transgression is ultimate rebellion, and that is rushing headlong, knowing full well what I'm about to do is sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's like you're walking down the sidewalk, and there's a sign, keep off the grass. Well, what's your inclination? You're human, right? I'm human. And we just want to put a little foot in that grass, don't we? Just to prove that we can do it, Right? That's transgression. You know what the law is. It's right there. Don't get on the grass, but yet we do it anyway. 
Then there's iniquity. Iniquity is just crookedness, perversion. That's purely which is evil. And it's these very things, transgressions, sins, and iniquities, the very things that God has chosen to forgive us of. David says, blessed is the man who finds this forgiveness. I like what Charles Spurgeon writes in his commentary on this particular psalm. He says, transgression, sin, and iniquity are the three-headed dog at the gates of hell. But our glorious Lord has silenced its barkings forever against His own believing ones. The trinity of sin is overcome by the trinity of heaven. Beautiful thought. To think about what God does for us by covering our sin. And that's what David says here. The same word used in many other places. But one particular place is in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 6 where Joshua is relaying to the people of what God did for the people of Israel, getting them through uh, the sea when God parted the sea and the Egyptians followed after. But when they got there, the water came back. And the Bible says there in that verse, the water covered them and they were no more. That's what God does for our sins when we seek His forgiveness and when we confess those sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, those sins are covered And God remembers them no more. Isn't that a blessing? We have a loving God who will forgive us of those times that we fail Him and we will fail Him. We have failed Him. We will fail Him again before our life is over. Before this day is over, we will fail God. But oh, how faithful He is to forgive us of those sins, to cover over our iniquity. Man has the opportunity to be blessed because God was willing to become a curse. The Bible says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, took our sins. He became a curse for us that we might be like the one that David writes about in here, how blessed is he whose sins are forgiven and covered. Because Jesus, through His blood, has covered those sins, where iniquities, as it says here, are not imputed to us. They were imputed to Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect, who was fully innocent. But yet because of my sin and your sin, the sins of the world, those sins were placed upon Him and the wrath of God came down upon His Son. The full wrath of God. Not just a little bit, but the full wrath of God against sin was displayed on His Son. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, where we were reading, where it says that Jesus is our propitiation, it means that right there at that word it says that Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God against sin. So you and I don't have to feel that wrath. We don't have to undergo that condemnation because our sins are forgiven. Oh, the blessedness of being forgiven. But look at verses 3 and 4. We move on from here and David speaks about the dreadfulness of sin. The dreadfulness of sin. Look at how David describes himself when he was in sin and he knew he was in sin, but yet had not dealt with that sin in that year. If this psalm is indeed in relation to those specific sins, then David for a whole year had been dealing with these sins. Look how he describes it. 
Literally, it says, his bones wasted away. You know, the bones are your deepest part of your body. You get to the bone, there's nowhere else to go, right? David says, I felt this sin deep within me. Groaning all day long, he says. God, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality drained away. And he describes that like the summer heat. You've been out there on a summer day, maybe working in your yard. And boy, you get to the end of the day and you are just spent. And that sun has been beating down upon you and you just... The only thing you want to do is go inside, take a shower, lay down, and go to bed. David says, the burden of my sin was upon me. God's hand was upon me. Sin is a dreadful thing, particularly for the believer. When we sin and the Holy Spirit reminds us of that sin and brings that dread upon us knowing that I have sinned against God. The dreadfulness of it. David speaking of that burden and that agony. He couldn't wait to take that burden off. And it took Nathan to come, point his finger at him. So David, you are the man. As at that point, David says, indeed, I have sinned. You see, God never means for us to enjoy sin. Satan does. Satan brings those temptations. He brings everything before us to tempt us to sin. And he wants us to get involved in it and have a good time. And and sometimes as we're sinning, the flesh enjoys that. But when it's all said and done, now comes the guilt. Now comes the conviction. Now comes the Holy Spirit convicting us of those things. If you're a believer here today and you do not get troubled over your sin... You have a bigger problem. You have a much bigger problem than just God needing to forgive this specific instance. You might need redemption. You might need total restoration, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit who awakens you to the point of where you can respond in faith and repentance to the Lord of the gift that He lays out before you. If you're not troubled over your sin ever, I would say Houston... We have a problem. We have a big problem. So the dreadfulness of sin, we we were never meant to bear that sin. That's why Jesus Christ bore them upon the cross. He took that which was never meant for us to carry and He took it upon Himself. And He said, I will die for this sin. I will die for you. I will receive the wrath of my Father. And we know that wrath came because on the cross Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the one and only time in eternity that there was a rift in the Trinity. And why was it so? It was my fault. It was your fault. Because our sins were upon the Son. And Jesus crying out in agony, over that burden. I'm convinced when he's crying, when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, I'm convinced that what he is asking God to do to remove this cup, to let this cup pass from him, that it's not the physical torture that he was about to endure. Although certainly there was a part of that. But I think the worst torture he knew that was coming was that spiritual torture. He who was holy, he who was perfect, 
to take our sins upon himself. He dreaded that moment. But as much as he dreaded it, he obeyed his Father's will and endured that cross. We are eternally grateful for that. So we see the dreadfulness of sin. But notice in verse 5 the joyfulness of confession. See, we're not meant to conceal our sin, to, to hide it. You know, like Adam and Eve tried to hide and conceal their shame in the Garden of Eden when they sinned, literally when they transgressed the law of God. God said, do not eat of this fruit. And they did. Eve ate of it. Her husband ate of it. And they fell in the garden. Immediately, something happened. They knew it. They were shamed. They tried to hide themselves, but yet there was nothing they could do to conceal their shame. It took God to come along and to take an animal and slaughter that animal to get the skin off of that animal and give them a proper covering. As a constant reminder to Adam and Eve that if you truly want covering for your sins, something has to pay a price. Of course, that's something we know that someone we know was Jesus Christ. But the joyfulness of confession, this is the only way to make the, the dread of sin go away, is to confess our sins. This was a major difference between David and his predecessor, King Saul. When King Saul sinned, we don't read in Scripture of how King Saul was so remorseful about his sins when he disobeyed the command of God. Yet we find more than one occasion David showing his remorse over the things that he had done. He was broken. And until we get to a place of brokenness over our sin, we'll never be useful for God. David spent a whole year of uselessness because he had sin in his life that had gone unconfessed. No telling what he could have done within that year. Had he just confessed his sins right away. Now, when David sinned, he wronged Bathsheba and he wronged Uriah. David didn't literally stick the sword in Uriah, but he made sure that Uriah was in such a place in the battle that when everybody else withdrew, there Uriah was by himself, that it would be inevitable that he would be slaughtered. And it was just as if David did take the sword and literally kill Uriah. He was just as guilty. So he wronged Bathsheba and he wronged Uriah, but David knew that his sin ultimately was against God. This is what David says in Psalm 51 and verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. Our sins that we commit are against a holy God. Now other people may end up paying the price of our sins. They may end up having consequences because of our sins, but ultimately our sin, our infraction, is against a holy God. David, although he tried to go about his tasks, was just ineffective until he came to the place where he was broken. And then he confessed his sins. He cried out to God for forgiveness and for mercy. You can read that in 2 Samuel 12 and 
Verse 13, in that same verse, the prophet reminds David, Don't worry, David, you will not die. God has forgiven you. There were consequences. We won't get into that. We don't have time. But his sins were covered. They were forgiven. Confession. Maybe there's something in your life this morning. It needs to be confessed. Maybe you've sat on it for a while. And it is rooted in your mind and in your heart. Maybe like David, you have, you have just felt the guilt and the burden of that sin. The solution is to confess it. The solution is to lay yourself out humbly before the holy God. Say, God, I have done wrong. I have sinned. And will you forgive me? And when you come with a heart full of confession... We have that wonderful promise in 1 John that He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. When you come to God with your sins as a believer, He never turns you away and says, Nah, I can't forgive that. No, I won't forgive that. But whatever sins we commit, He will indeed forgive. Joyfulness of confession. Well, that brings us to verse 6 and 7, where we see the fruitfulness of admonishment. The fruitfulness, fruitfulness of admonishment. Once confession is made, now we can go on serving God. What does David do? After confessing his sins, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. What's David doing? He is encouraging others who have also sinned, others who also need to go to God. You go to God. And He will take that burden. He will take that guilt. And you can go on then serving the Lord. You can go on continuing in that fruit, as Jesus talks about in John 15, that fruit that remains. We can serve Him. So we find David's Encouragement. Notice David says, coming at a time when, when you, that is God, may be found. Is there a time when God cannot be found? Well, not for the believer. For the believer, God is always there. We're promised of His presence, right? We're told that when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that one of the gifts we receive is that of the Holy Spirit who comes in and reminds us constantly who we are and whose we are. And when we sin, He's there to remind us of that too. His presence is always with us. But for the unbeliever, is there a time when God cannot be found? The answer to that would be, Yes. Look at Romans chapter 1. We read Romans 4 a while ago, but look at Romans chapter 1. Where in this chapter, beginning in verse 18, Paul is talking about the wrath of God being displayed against man for his awfulness and his sin. And there's three times in this chapter where it says that God gave them over. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 26, 
For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. He gave them over, He gave them over, He gave them over. Now that is a bad place to be. When God has completely given you over to your sins, you see, God is a perfect gentleman. If you don't want Him, He'll step out of your life. And at some point, He may even stop convicting you of your sins as an unbeliever. Now, we don't know when that happens with each individual because God is long-suffering. God is certainly long-suffering. But there at that last verse, it says, when they decided to acknowledge God no longer, God then says, fine, have it your way. Do it your way. But ultimately, there will be a price to pay. But oh, for the believer, we are forever assured of God's constant presence with us in this life, but also in the life to come. We can rest assured of that. Well, let's look at one other thought. In verses 8 through 11, we see the maturity of willful obedience. Verses 8 and 9, David reminds us that, that God will instruct us. He'll instruct us. When you look to God, when you confess your sins before God, and you seek to follow Him, He will lead you in the path that you need to go. He will instruct the way which we should go. He will counsel with His eyes upon us. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule, which has to be dragged around with a bit and a bridle and You have to force it to do what you want it to do. Don't be that kind of child of God where God has to force you every time to do something. But oh, that willful obedience is a sign of a mature Christian. It's a sign of a Christian that has a desire to serve the Lord. God will instruct us. God is to be trusted. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Every day is a life of trust in God. We begin our relationship Him with trust, and we continue in our relationship with Him, trusting Him every day to lead us and to guide us. And when we do right, when we follow Him obediently, God can make you glad. Don't you like to be glad? Don't you like to be happy? I do. I don't like to be sad. I don't like things that happen that that cause my countenance to fall. But yet, the Bible says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. God can make you glad. Especially once you know your sins have been forgiven. That you are prayed up. You are fessed up unto God, and you are walking in His ways. Joyfulness occurs when that happens. But yet at one point in David's life, he was the man. He was the guilty one. 
this morning. Are you the man? Are you the woman? Are you the one who has sinned before God? The answer is to confess it. You don't need me to do that. You don't need anybody else to do that. You just need to go to your God and pray to God through Jesus Christ. And Christ as our mediator will carry those those words of confession unto God and God and God alone will absolve you of your sins. Dr. Holmes has great authority in this seminary. If you don't believe it, just ask him. He'll let you know of his authority. He watches over this seminary and he's responsible for so many things. And he's got great authority, but he doesn't have the authority to absolve you of your sins. But God does. He's the only one. You don't need a human mediator because we have a divine mediator through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you. We're going to pause here in just a moment and pray. Let me encourage you, if there's sin in your life, confess it. Why stay miserable? Confess it. Get it out before God. And He will give you forgiveness. He will cover your sins. And He will blot them out as if they had never happened. God can do that. And only God can do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this morning and grateful of being under the authority of your word. And Lord, oftentimes when we're under the authority of your word, we, we understand ourselves more fully. And we realize as we look into the mirror of your word that your word reveals to us sin that is in our life. Maybe something we have said, something we have done. Maybe some habit that needs to be broken. Lord, will you break us to a point where we will fall before you in humility and confess our sins. I pray that all those who are here this morning will consider their lives before you. And if we have violated your holiness in any particular way. Lord, may you first of all reveal that to us. Sometimes sin has gone unconfessed so long we've forgotten about that sin. But Lord, may you reveal it to our hearts that we might confess all our sins unto you. And Father, we thank you for the promise of forgiveness. We thank you for the basis upon which you do forgive. And that is your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, that that we can have victory over that sin. So, Father, thank you for this. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious and humble name we pray. Amen.